Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thankfully, we all seem to have survived Storm uh, Agnes, even though I do think of the ESB network crews who are still out this morning. They're still trying to restore power to everyone. There's still some areas that are without power. And today is very much kind of a clean up day after yesterday. And there's a lot of the gardens look a bit windswept and there's a lot of debris out and about. So do be careful still when you are travelling today, because you don't know if you're particularly if you're in a very rural area, you can come around a bend. Uh, you, you just don't know what kind of debris is going to be still left on the road. So so do be careful. And as we mentioned yesterday in our gardening slot, check trees and loose branches that may not have come down yesterday, but could come down on the next storm event. Uh, anything you want to share with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. You can call John Paul 0818 103 103. And going through the papers today, it certainly is a good news day for the Sinn Féin party. They've extended their lead over their rivals and they remain on course uh, to be comfortably the largest party in the next door. This is the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll. Now we're 18 months at the very most to go before we will have uh, another general uh, election. Sinn Féin are now leading Fianna Fáil by 14 points. They're leading Fianna Gael by 16 points. And after today's poll, the party recovered from a fall off in support which was seen in the first half of this year. Support for the smaller parties, especially the Social Democrats Holly Carnes uh, won't be happy to hear that. That has slipped while the independents have seen their support grow. Now satisfaction with the government that's also fallen. It's at its lowest level now in more than a year. So taking a look at the state of the parties and this is the state of the parties when undecided voters and those who simply say look I'm not likely to vote in the next election so they exclude all of those and then they ask the people okay if you were to vote today what way would you vote so the state of the parties shows Sinn Féin 34% that's up 3 Fianna Fáil are 20% they're down 1 Fianna Gael are at 18% that's no change since the last opinion poll the Greens are on 3% they're down 1 Labour also on 3% down 1 and the Independents and others are at 22% which is unchanged but then when you dig into the Independents and the other smaller parties the results not great for the Social Democrats. They're at 2% down 3. Solidarity, people before profit, 2%, that's up 2. Aim 2 on 1%, no change. And then all of the other independents put together, uh, they're up 4 at uh, 18%. And then looking at some of the individual leaders, as I say, it is a good news day for the Sinn Féin party and for their leader. Mary Lou MacDonald remains the most 
popular party leader, according to this opinion poll, with 42% expressing satisfaction with her performance. Now, that's just marginally ahead of the Fianna Fáil uh, leader, Micheál Martin. Micheál Martin, his satisfaction rating is on 41%, and both of those figures are unchanged since last June. Tishak Leavaradkar, his satisfaction rating did improve slightly. It's up two points, but he's still behind the other two. He's at 39%. And then coming up the rear is the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan. His ratings declined by two points to 18%. But then satisfaction with the government at a, as a whole, that's at 32%. Now, while support for Sinn Féin is strongest amongst the younger voters, today's poll is showing that the party has grown its support right across the electorate. Uh, it, for example, it's 10 points ahead of both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael amongst the wealthiest voters. There was classes, the ABC uh, ones. And it's also leading Fianna Gael, although not leading Fianna Fáil, amongst the over 65s. The over 65s are still going with uh, Fianna Fáil. But with much of the Sinn Féin gains coming at the expense of the smaller parties this time round, uh, there... The smaller parties are the ones that they would hope to go into a coalition uh, government and that will be their likely path after the next uh, general election. So it remains unclear what parties would actually be involved in the next government if we were to have an election today and if you were to base the results on that opinion poll. But nonetheless, it is clear that the Sinn Féin party is once again the big winner in today's uh, poll. We're, what, about two and a half weeks away from uh, the budget. You know, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens are going to be waking up or have woken up, assuming they're better this day. And they're reading this Irish Times opinion poll uh, today. It's going to be a worry uh, for, uh, for them. And some commentators are saying, you know, if they're looking at those figures this morning, the likelihood is that it will increase pressure on the likes of Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue to increase giveaways when they announce uh, the budget because we're at that stage and we've been talking about that this week and last week but certainly this week we're at that stage we're all of you know the main government departments are all in trying to get into the ear of the of the money ministers Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue to get something for their uh, department and you know you're going to have all of the backbench TDs as well saying we need to do something we need to improve our ratings in the opinion uh, polls so it could help in some way for a giveaway a budget but people are saying is that the right way to set up a budget trying to buy votes 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls and an email that came in yesterday and my apologies that I didn't get around to it and and it's to do with the story we were carrying. It was on the news. It was um, actually Sinn Féin party, um, Dáil Deputy David Cullinan. Uh, a listener says, Patricia, I'm really interested to know if you could find out the accuracy of what David Cullinan, Sinn Féin TD, uh, said on national radio on Monday morning. He said that there had been no one on a trolley for years at Waterford University Hospital. I find this difficult to believe, as one of my relatives had to leave that hospital recently because of long waits. A few months ago, my sister was told while waiting at Waterford University Hospital that her wait could be all night. 
and it would be on a chair as they didn't have additional beds. She wouldn't stay on a chair all night so she left the A&E. Is this why there are no patients on trolleys at Waterford Hospital? My cousin also had to leave A&E just last week when she was referred there by her GP for a heart echo as she was not prioritised for this assessment and couldn't wait any longer. My cousin's wife is currently seriously ill and he had to take her with him as he had nobody else to care for her. Is it a gimmick that there's no one on trolleys at Waterford University Hospital or are they really doing something different from other hospitals? When I was seriously ill back in 2020 I was at Cork University Hospital on and off for almost a year. I would have to say that the hospital was amazing. It was totally different to what we hear about through the media. I do not believe that they, Waterford Hospital, are managing patients who present any worse than the or the Cork University Hospital are not managing patients any worse than the Waterford Hospital. CUH is a centre of excellence and it was certainly excellent in my experience. I'm interested in your views. Now, the only thing I would say about Waterford University Hospital. We've been for a while hearing about Waterford University Hospital. Uh, okay, while David Cullinan is wrong to say that there's been no one on, on uh, a trolley for uh, for years, there has been, but in very very small uh, numbers. There, what Waterford Hospital decided, th- they were probably one of the only hospital. Well, they were probably the first hospital who decided to do something about it. And I remember back at the start of this year in January, they were being hailed as uh, this is the hospital that other hospitals should be following their lead because they regularly had either no one on a trolley or very few on a uh, trolley. And back in January of this year there was one of the surgical pathologists at Waterford University Hospital, a guy by the name of Rob uh, Landers. And he said the hospital had avoided patients on trolleys and he said it was a very simple solution. They purchased more bed capacity uh, locally and that's the reason that Waterford Hospital has been held up as an exception to the trolley crisis situation where there is severe pressure on emergency departments and many, many patients in countless hospitals lying on trolleys in corridors, often up to 24 hours and more waiting to get a bed. So what they did in uh, Waterford, they say there is a culture of prioritising patients who enter through the emergency department and they're treated as quickly as uh, possible. He says there is whole staff engagement on this from the management team to the consultants to the junior doctors and to the nurses. And what they simply did was they went out and they purchased hospital beds, you know, rented them from the likes of Whitfield Hospital. That would be the private hospital in Waterford. And they also arranged for step down beds from local nursing homes to deal with capacity issues and that's one of the reasons why you will very very rarely hear of people on trolleys in Waterford Hospital and we did take a look just yesterday uh, just to see where they were at uh, yesterday and yesterday if I can find them on the University Hospital Waterford if I can find them on the list here they're they're not jumping out at me here but they had a very very low uh, number on on trolleys again even uh, yesterday when you compare them uh, to the likes of Limerick Hospital always do so badly when it comes to they're always kind of top of the list it's one of those lists that you don't want to be top of yeah there's the University Hospital Waterford they had in the emergency department they had three people uh, waiting on a bed but you compare that to Cork now now I know size wise and area wise Cork Cork University Hospital would be much bigger but uh, yesterday Cork University Hospital had 
54 uh, people waiting on uh, trolleys. The uh, Limerick had 43 people waiting on uh, trolleys and even Sligo Hospital, which I imagine is probably on par with Waterford, they had 32 people, but Waterford only had three. And I wonder if you went back after a few hours, would they have been provided with a bed? So, yeah, they, they, they have come up with a solution. And maybe it's because they're a smaller hospital and they're able to do it. I don't know. But their solution and according to their consultants, the solution is is a simple one. Just source local beds outside of the hospital where you can transfer people to. 0818103103 and thank you for your email to Cork today at c103.ie. Sure has contacted uh, the programme and this is reacting to a story that broke yesterday and actually we touched on it yesterday. It was the story where the government had announced that additional €1 billion euro has been diverted to the state efforts to accommodate Ukrainian refugees in Ireland and it got it got picked up yesterday uh, because of some of the issues that uh, we were addressing and people were saying look if there's an extra billion euro there uh, is there not other ways it could be spent you know people were listening to Paul Sheehan of the Cork Simon community talking about the homeless situation talking about their most challenging year uh, last year and then we had the we had Mella Finn on from uh, the Child Care Association talking about how underfunded they are and how they uh, need more money. And then we were talking about disability groups and how they need funding. And kind of the, the, the feeling was from some people saying, OK, right, it's all great, good and proper that we're looking after people who are in need of uh, refuge in this country. But uh, a billion euro seems like a lot of money. And that has prompted Jar. He was thinking about that story yesterday and thinking about the million that will be going to accommodate the Ukrainian refugees and he says are we at this stage now in this country that we need to have some kind of an open conversation about immigration uh, because as soon as you try to have an open discussion about immigration there's the, the fear that you're going to be classed as racist the minute you say uh, oh we can't take any more and, and I think a lot of that is to do with some of the far right element who have been very nasty uh, when it comes to any kind of discussions on immigrants and it's almost like some of the far right want Ireland to be just uh, for Irish people and white Irish people only and that upsets a lot of people and then you get into the whole racist argument. So Ger is saying it's not that we don't want to look after the people that are here uh, but we're at a situation now where we can't keep helping people because we don't have the accommodation we have already as we speak. We have Ukrainians that are living in tents, you know, where electric picnic went on. And I saw video footage last weekend when it was a very, very wet weekend of these and many of them were families, women with uh, children and there were some elderly people trying to survive and living in a tent. And if you've ever been in a tent in wet weather, and I know the tents at Electric Picnic, the ones they use, they're, you know, they're not your traditional uh, camping tents, you know, they're, they're a little bit posher, but you're still basically living in a tent and the field you're in is flooding and there seem to be pools of water everywhere. So Jarrah's making the point, you know, we don't have the accommodation, we, we simply don't have the bed spaces for the people that are coming into this country. So do we need to have this kind of an adult conversation? And I think open conversation, Ger. I think you're using the right phraseology. Let's put everything on the table. And do we sort of need to look at what other countries are, are doing? For example, other countries have put um, a temporary stop on the borders and they're kind of saying, look, we need to look after the ones that are already in this country. Instead of making a situation that's already bad, making it 
uh, worse. Uh, and Ger, just on the monetary side of it, says, you know, as a country, we can't keep allocating a billion euro every year uh, just to accommodate Ukrainian refugees. You know, at some stage, the bubble will burst and there won't be money there. So do we need to have that adult conversation? It's not that we that we are saying we don't want anybody from any other nationality in this country. We're, you know, we're very prepared and we have been doing great work in looking after the people that are here. But when do we have to say there is literally no room at the inn? I mean, how long? We can't expect people to live in tents in the winter months, whatever about doing it in the summer months. There's no hope in hell you can ask families uh, to live in tents. Uh, you know, we can, we can get very, very cold uh, winters on top of the very wet kind of weather that we're having at the moment. So your thoughts uh, welcome to it. As I say, it's an adult mature, mature conversation. It's not that People are being racist when it when it comes to this. It's looking after those that are here and being able to afford to look after those that are here. According to a survey conducted by Bernardo's, nearly one in five children say they find it difficult to stop playing video games. And many reported not getting enough sleep. Why? Because they're staying up late gaming. To discuss the survey, I'm joined by Stephen Moffat. Now, Stephen is the National Policy Manager with uh, Bernardo's. Good morning to you, Stephen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, on. you're you're very welcome to the program. Now, I suppose just to, at the outset, what age group of children uh, did you survey? What age group are we talking about here? So they're children aged from uh, uh, about uh, eight or nine to about thirteen. Uh, you know, it's third uh, children in third to sixth class. Uh, so the age range is within that. Okay, they're they're, they're young enough um, children. Did did the children themselves talk about? how that much gaming is affecting them? Because I'm assuming if some are gaming late into the night, they must be exhausted heading into school. Yeah, absolutely. You know, children uh, spoke about it at length, both in the focus groups that we ran and within the surveys. Uh, they said, you know, that you know they did struggle at times to self-regulate uh, around the amount of um, uh, time they spent online gaming. You know, the longer they spent into the night, obviously the impact it had uh, on them the next day. And obviously the biggest concern about that for parents and for teachers is, you know, their ability to engage in education. Um, but I, do, I think there was a real self-awareness around children, you know, that, you know, they need to have bigger restrictions placed on them themselves and, and for them to learn about more about the amount of time they actually spend gaming um, because they know it has an impact on, on their mood and their, their well-being if they spend too long doing it. Yeah, and like what we're talking about here, it's not children playing Super Mario against themselves. What we're talking about here, um, uh, for those that don't have young people in the house, this is gaming online. Are they interacting with people that they've never met before? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a, you know, it's it's a whole new world out there uh, and a very important part of children's lives. But yeah, it does come with, you know, you know, people uh, gaming with people children have never met, uh, you know, strangers uh, and children are aware that some of those people, you know, might be pretending to be uh, individuals who, who they're not. Uh, so when we ask children about that, you know, um, a, a huge proportion of them said that, you know, they, they know that they're um they're playing games online with with complete strangers, people they've never met before, who, you know, at times might be trying to interact and engage with them directly. And as you say, they are aware that some of those could be adults pretending to be children. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's something, you know, that's, that is something for children need to uh, build up, um, you know, skills and knowledge around uh, thinking about safety as much as possible. Uh, and it's also something, you know, the parents need to be aware of. They need to be engaged and, uh, and you know, uh, curious about their, their children's activity in online gaming uh, to help them be as safe as possible, um, you know, to look out for, you know, different uh, warning signs or risk signs uh, if, if they might be, uh, you know, playing on an online game and there's there's a potential adult playing alongside them. Cyberbullying, Stephen, was that mentioned at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, about 50% of uh, children that we, we surveyed said that they witnessed it, um, you know, s- some more so than, than others. Um, so it's, you know, online gaming is a really complex world. It does make up a big part of a lot of children's lives. Um, so huge amounts of positives uh, that they get from it but unfortunately cyberbullying is one of the big negatives that they see you know that might be you know a relatively minor um you know disagreement on a, on a chat on online gaming or it could be something more serious you know children reporting that uh you know uh, children or other children that they see or themselves being repeatedly bullied uh, through online games uh, and that can feed back within local social cir- circles that children might have and by the way what are the positives of online gaming for children I suppose the big thing is that children know that they can, you know, have a lot of new experiences. You know, the games, online games can be challenging. Uh, they can be very interactive. Um, their ability to, I suppose, engage with children across the world uh, because the online world is so broad um, and, and the range of games that are out there uh, online. Some children, you know, told us, you know, about their ability to be able to play with friends in different parts of the world or even cousins uh, who, you know, might not be, uh, they, they might not be able to, you know, go down the street and play with them. Yeah. So I think they, they really appreciate that, you know, that that is, uh, there are an awful lot of positives, but children are very aware, you know, reported to us about some of the concerns, some of the worries. Uh, so yeah, definitely positives with cause for concern around some issues. Okay, but it's the controlling the amount of time, Stephen, that children are online, because obviously if they're, you know, the, some of the children's saying that, you know, they can't switch off their gaming late into the night their parents are obviously unaware that this is going on in the bedroom yeah absolutely you know it's it's a case that um you know children themselves have to take some responsibility but you know the children obviously we were speaking to were, were relatively young um you know and they need to be aware of of the downside of playing uh, games online for too long um but also yeah it's about building awareness uh, amongst parents um you know making parents feel as comfortable and confident as possible around their children's online gaming world uh, so they know when they're doing it you know that they can set boundaries and, and time constraints about when they when they can be on uh, online and when they need to stop uh, and you know there's a lot of information out there for for parents uh, to you know get support around these these sorts of things because the, the more parents know about it the, the bigger um, an interest they take um, you know the um, the safer their children will be gaming companies obviously make a lot of money out of this type of activity do they need to step up to the, to, to the mark what do they need to do yeah, so this was something, you know, we asked children directly, you know, we wanted to get their voices out as much as possible. What would they like to see gaming companies do? Uh, and there was a couple of things that came back really strongly. Uh, the main thing is that, you know, they want to be able to report, you know, things like cyberbullying or, you know, negative behavior by certain individuals. They want to be able to, able to report that as quickly as possible and that gaming companies take action on the, those people as quickly as possible. You know, uh, you know, moderating chat functions uh, more efficiently within online 
online games. So there isn't as much cyberbullying. And finally, actually, children are really aware that, you know, the games that are directed towards them, that are aimed at them, there should be no online uh, uh, or in-game purchases. So they shouldn't be, able, shouldn't be, you know, advertisements within games that they click a button for an extra 50 cents and they can get something new within the game, you know. Games that are targeted at children, you know, they shouldn't cost anything additional as children are playing. And does that happen in many games, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the children talking to us uh, came up with repeated examples of, you know, there might be an online game that they pay an initial fee to, to play the game. But as they play to, you, you know, to unlock different um, characters or to unlock different uh, platforms or uh, to engage with the friends more um, that yeah there's a sudden yeah, in-game purchase and it might seem relatively small but they build up over time and it puts pressure on parents um, you know and, and children you know um, really feel like that's that's unfair that a games target that children shouldn't have additional in-game purchases. Yeah, because you're talking about you know eight to thirteen year olds, so not they don't exactly have a wage package that they can pay for for, for these additional items, and a lot of this. Uh, it always goes back whenever we're discussing problems with children. Uh, parents keeping that line of communication going with their children and knowing and talking to them about their online experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think children want their parents to be curious and to be engaged in what they're doing uh, online to some degree. You know, they don't want them hovering over their shoulders. Uh, but they, they, they are respectful of the fact that, you know, that actually if their parents, the more engaged that they are, the more curious they are, uh, actually the better it is for them. Um, so, you know, that might be a case of, you know, parents just at the very least trying to understand what games uh, the children are playing online, um, how social they are, you know, ones that have different level of, you know, know challenges or educational um you know skills attached with them um so yeah absolutely the more parents are engaged the, the better for children around online game okay and just finally Stephen, while i have you um online because obviously there's a lot of media coverage on it this uh, tiktok uh, challenge this uh, chroming that unfortunately has led uh, to deaths of young people around the world and, and it looks like we may have lost one of our own uh, young uh, teenagers uh, here in ireland are you are you aware of chroming uh, it's not something that had, had come through, you know, directly through, you know, uh, many of our, our, our services. Uh, it's something, you know, we we would, you know, have a look through through our on, uh, online safety uh, portals and our online safety programs. Um, but it's not something that had been uh, fed up through our services to a huge degree. Again, this is the sort of thing that, you know, we need to be as responsive as possible, uh, making sure as children are safe as possible online. So, you know, keeping up to date with what children are actually doing online and then taking steps to make children as safe as possible uh, you know trying to understand uh, these sorts of things as soon as they as they happen as they appear online and that we we tackle it uh, you know sort of straight straight away and part of that is you know as we talked about earlier is making sure that parents and, and other communities are engaged as much as possible with what children are doing online and what's happening online and I know TikTok, in, in fairness, came straight out and, and they say, you know, that they continue to prioritise protecting and supporting um, the community, particularly children. And, you know, they do their best to take down and remove anything as quickly as possible. But it, it's almost like a beast at this stage, isn't it? When something goes up and gets shared and it's, it seems at times it's very hard even for the companies to remove it. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, companies I think are getting better at. Uh, there is an online safety commissioner that's been put in place that, that will help things as well. But, you know, something like this, yeah, it's, it has to be very, very reactive, very, very quick. Uh, and, you know, it's definitely for the companies to do as much as possible. Um, but it's also for, you know, to make building cultures in which uh, children and young people are open and transparent uh, as much as possible with, with parents and with, uh, you know, other trusted individuals, uh, you know, in their networks. Um, so that they become as aware as quickly as possible as these things are happening. Uh, and then as well for, you know, to educate children about, you know, different harms that are out there and, um, you know, what, what actions they need, need to be taken to keep themselves as safe as possible. OK, listen, Stephen, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and continue the great work that you do at Bernardo's. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Stephen Moffat uh, who joins us and he's the National Policy Manager uh, with Bernardo's. And just on that really, really sad story uh, coming out of uh, Clare. And the young girl has been named Sarah Meskel. She's just 14. Beautiful, beautiful looking uh, young girl. She came, she was living in the village of uh, Kilnamona. I'm told it's just outside of uh, Ennis and the Guardian are investigating uh, if she was taking part in a virtual uh, social media uh, challenge. Uh, it's, it's believed to do with inhaling solvents and it is something um that and she was believed to have become seriously ill after inhaling aerosol after seeing a challenge on TikTok and the trend is commonly known as chroming and uh, she was rushed to hospital and she died last Friday in Crumlin at Children's uh, Hospital and as I said the Gardaí now are investigating it but that, my God that poor family and what they are uh, facing her funeral is uh, tomorrow but this chroming now we're not going to get into exactly how you do chroming because that's what you don't need to be uh, hearing about but the, this year already uh, chroming has made uh, headlines because it's already taken the life of a young Australian girl in May. This was a 13-year-old girl called Ezra Hayes. She went into cardiac arrest after breathing in detergent. Uh, She was in a sleepover in Melbourne. She was placed on life support after arriving in hospital where she remained until she died eight days uh, later. And the alarming trend of ingesting chrome-based paint and other household chemicals includes deodorants and even bug spray. It seems claimed the lives of more than a dozen young people in Australia and it's been in Australia since 2000 and nine. There was another case last October of a young 15-year-old boy, Bradley Hope. He was at a friend's house when he engaged in the practice and just a few hours after uh, inhaling these intoxicating uh, chemicals, he suffered a seizure and he died of uh, cardiac uh, arrest later that day. So it's it's a worrying, worrying trend. And as I say, TikTok are doing their best as soon as it comes up. They do their best to remove it, even though they are a pains to point out that it's not a TikTok trend. They don't want to call it a TikTok, a TikTok trend. But it's very sad indeed. Uh, 0818103103. John Paul's taking calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Okay, a lot of commentary uh, coming in reacting to uh, Jur, who contacted us earlier this morning just once, as he says, just an open adult conversation about immigration and he was picking up on the fact that it was announced I'm sure it was Eamon Ryan the Green Party leader 
who announced that an additional one billion has been diverted to state efforts to accommodate Ukrainian refugees. And Jer says, when is enough enough? He's not in any way being racist, but he said we need to look after those that are here already. You know, and he was talking about people that are living in in tents. Uh, we don't have enough accommodation. You know, do we need to look at what other countries are doing, where they halt and close the borders for a while until they can sort out what already is going on in the country? A lot of people, I have to say, uh, agreeing with uh, Ger. Just and I'll just give you some of them. Hi, Patricia. I'm certainly not racist, and please don't think I am when I say we already have enough. We people coming in here from all sides. We can't keep doing this. I was at a wedding in Dublin just last weekend. I'll never, ever forget our stay in Dublin. There was immigrants everywhere on the street at all hours of the day and night fighting amongst themselves. It felt like they were lawless. Patricia, our own are the same. I know that, but nothing like the violence we witnessed in Dublin last weekend. We'd actually paid to stay in the hotel for the entire week, but we left the following morning after breakfast. I have to say, Dublin is now a city. I won't ever be visiting again. Isn't that really sad? That is really sad to hear that. And that's our capital city. Micah says, Patricia, how are you? I fully agree with Jer. And where are we going with the amount of people who are coming here for all different reasons? We do need a grown up, respectful conversation. It's not alone accommodation. It's medical care, it's school places and more importantly, it's integration. I'm hearing stories of people arriving, being given a hotel room and then immediately allocated a medical card and places in local services while local people are told, sorry, the surgery is full, you'll have to go somewhere else. All this kind of stuff plays into the far right narrative. The amount of money we are spending is unreal. I'm a person who very much believes in inclusiveness, but how far can we stretch the string until the system implodes? That's a a really well put together comment, Michael. Uh, uh, Thank you for that. And I think a lot of people will agree with you about the far right narrative. That's exactly what fuels us. You'll have somebody say, no, I can't get a local GP and yet a busload of people arrived in and they're all inside in the GP. It just really upsets people. And Mick in Middleton says, Patricia, I have no bother with helping people from war-torn countries like Ukraine and what's going on on there. But I'm here for helping the women and the children. That's what we were told Ireland were to take. But where are all these men coming in from? Um, If you just look at Killarney a few months ago, there was a stabbing. There was a feud between foreign nationals fleeing from war-torn countries. That's the problem I have. Why are these men not at home fighting for their countries to save their countries? How do they get in? Where are the rules now? It's looking like a joke. And that's from Mick in uh, Middleton. Well, a a lot of those, you see, we have a lot of immigrants who are fleeing and coming here claiming as Asylum. They're not necessarily fleeing from war-torn countries, but they're feeling maybe they're coming from famine countries. Are they just coming here for a better life? And and if we could have a a system, our asylum system, if it was a quicker system, you'd be able to weed out the ones that are genuine and the ones that are not. But still, people are saying, does there still need to be a cap until we sort out the amount of people that are here? Somebody was saying, Patricia, I, I 100% agree with Jer. Uh, I think as soon as you try to say something that we have uh, too many migrants in our country, you straight away get the finger of blame pointed at you and people start to uh, call you racist and that is wrong. We shouldn't be doing that uh, to people. It is not fair. We want to be able to look after our own. That's where the issue lies. We're not looking after our own. Patricia, it's not just Ukrainians here. There are a lot more refugees in this country. When the government stopped taking 
will the, will the government ever stop taking huge amounts of money from the EU and just start looking after the people who are here already? Ireland are charging the large companies 12.5% corporation tax. So these companies, the likes of Apple and Google and Facebook, which allows them not to pay taxes in the US. Where is the rest of the money going? It needs to be uh, looked at. I mentioned that uh, TikTok challenge and the fact that the Gardaí are investigating uh, if that uh, young girl from County Clare died as uh, a result of taking part in this uh, virtual social media uh, challenge and it's called uh, chroming and it's uh, it's to do with in, inhaling uh, aerosols. It's just horrific. Somebody said a friend of mine who was just 15 died from aerosol cancer. It was 25 years ago. How can these trends be allowed to be shared if they're literally killing people. Yeah. And, you know, TikTok say they're doing everything that they can. But yeah, it's it's hideous to think that kids can pick up ideas from social media and particularly things like TikTok, which is meant to be just fun. And that fun can turn into a tragedy. Thank you for your text to 86 Some people commenting on the latest opinion poll that's out. This is the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll, which is showing that Sinn Féin has extended its lead uh, over Fianna Fáil. Fianna Gael and the Greens and the Labour parties and Social Democrats and they are uh, still the most popular par- party in political party in Ireland. They went up three percentage points in today's poll to 34%. Pat says, I really do hope that Sinn Féin win by a landslide at the next election and then watch what will happen. Once they get into power, they will realise there's only so much any party can do with what they have. It will be interesting to watch. It is very easy, said Pat, to run the country when you are in opposition, promising the sun, moon and stars within the reality when you're actually in government. Listener says, as a farmer and seeing the way the government is treating farmers at the moment, I actually can see Sinn Féin if they give proper attention to farmers getting the farmers vote. The last, the minister, the agriculture minister from Donegal got rid of beef. And this one seems to want to get rid of the rest of uh, farmers not happy with the current Minister for Agriculture. I was listening to a top IFA guy at a meeting saying there is no negotiation coming from the government side and he thinks we should take a chance with Sinn Féin. Uh, good morning. This is from Maura. Morning, Trish. Um, I'm actually glad to hear that the Greens are sinking in the latest opinion poll. I got very bad arthritis and my husband is just after major surgery. We had no power last night, thanks to Storm Agnes. We were very, very lucky to be able to burn turf to keep us warm last night. And cheers to the lads in the ESB. They worked all night in terrible conditions to get our power back. As for the refugee situation that you're discussing, it's terrible to see those uh, people uh, coming to our country and then not being looked after. Our solution is putting them in tents is absolutely ridiculous. But at the end of the day, I can see why we need an adult conversation. We don't have enough facilities in this country. That's from uh, Maura. And Martha in Skibbereen on Sinn Féin, if they get in, I do hope they realise they can only work, work with what they have. And she's citing Sinn Féin getting into power and how they will get on. A little bit like Patrick Keelty taking over the late, late. Morris says, look, Patrick Keelty is doing a great job, but there's a lot of criticism from the first two shows that he's not getting very major guests. What we have to remember is we don't have a lot of major celebrities in Ireland promoting stuff every week compared to, say, celebrities who visit London and are New York. 
while he is the new face of the late late he can only work with what he has around him the very same applies in every job but it particularly applies in politics 0818103103 and then people who are saying we have too many uh, immigrants and refugees uh, coming into this uh, country and we need to do something about it somebody says Patricia a lot of texts about people who seem to be a bit confused when it comes to the topic of migration which one of us have not had a family member who went abroad for a better life and to work a comment from somebody saying men should not be arriving here as asylum seekers that they should be staying at home fighting no one should be forced to die would they like to be forced to fight for their country particularly if they're living in a very corrupt country that many of the asylum seekers are escaping from these commentators will be the very ones to complain about men's rights What about a man's right to live? And that includes men from other countries. And everyone is missing the mark, particularly the listener who was talking about what she witnessed in Dublin. The problem with Dublin, according to this texter, is Dubliners, not immigrants. Systemic problems of poverty, that creates violence and ignorance. We need a change of government and we also need a change of economic ideology. We need to almost start all over again, according to this uh, WhatsApp or to 0862 103 103. And then someone says, when you're on about adult conversations, what about having an adult conversation about revenue? Writing to the owners of some 25,000 owners of empty houses are all the other empty properties around the country, specifically explaining the 48,000 properties that the CSO identified in the census as long-term vacant. Why not write to them and uh, bring in the truly vacant properties into the housing market uh, pool? Now, I'm, I, I, I think I'm open to correction, but I think you are picking up on the fact that revenue are going to be rocketing coincidentally. If, if you're not, I've got good news for you because thousands of owners of vacant houses will be getting letters in the coming days from revenue telling them that they are liable for the new vacant property tax. The tax authority is expected to write to about 62,000 owners of unoccupied homes. Now, this vacant property tax is a self-assessment tax and it'll be charged at the rate of three times the local property tax and then the property tax has to be paid on top of it. So uh, one example that I saw quoted in the papers this morning is, say a house was valued at 300000 uh, for property tax and that house is empty and it was fitted all the criteria for the vacant property tax. It would mean the vacant home tax would come in at €945 and then they'd have to pay the local property tax of €315 on top. So the total for that house uh, would be 1260 and I'm assuming that's going to be a yearly tax that they would have to pay. Now, how do you work out what is a vacant home? Any home that has been empty since the 1st of November last year will be subject to the tax if it was used as a dwelling for fewer than 30 days between the 1st of November and the end of October. So a full, that full 12 month uh, year. So, so obviously that will exclude holiday homes. If somebody has a vacant property, but they went and spent the entire month of July or August, or they did two weeks in June and they did a week in August and a week in September, that would make up the 30 days. Then they, that's not deemed uh, a vacant house, but it's houses that are empty. Nobody in them for that 12 month period. It's a self 
assessed tax as is the local property tax and it'll be due for payment in January of next year. The tax was introduced in last year's budget and of course the aim of it at the time was to try to increase the supply of homes for rent or for purchase by encouraging the owners of these vacant residential properties to please bring them back into use and I don't know how many people heard what when it was announced in the budget last year and moved and did something and has turned the vacant property now into a home for somebody. Now if you look back on the 2022 census that indicated a vacancy figure of 163,000 uh, on the night of the census. Now, that's out of a total of 2.1 million housing units. However, it's likely that a majority of those will not actually fall within the scope of this tax now, because, of course, there's going to be various exceptions. Now, some of those 163,000 will, of course, be uh, holiday uh, homes. They also will be properties that are actively being marketed for sale. Some may be subject to probate. Uh, currently some of them may be renovated so they're not livable in at the moment uh, others could be rental properties that are between lets even though I can't see any rental property uh, being between lets for 12 months uh, in the current climate anyway uh, and where a property obviously is vacant due to extended hospitalisation of the owner then an exception will apply so obviously that's for anyone that's gone into say a nursing home sources indicated that when all those categories are taken into account from that total figure of 163,000 they reckon there's about 62,000 units that will be liable for the tax now the tax similar to local property tax does and apply to a derelict or an uninhabitable property. So if you own one of those properties, you will be expecting to get a letter from Revenue. Will it spur people uh, to decide to, for whatever reason, and you don't know why people let a house uh, go uh, vacant and why they decide not to let anybody in it, but we have a housing crisis and we have a rental crisis at uh, the moment. So if people decide to sit on the houses and don't decide to sell and don't decide to rent it out, they will be faced with the new property tax the vacant property tax and they'll have to pay property tax on top of that. 0818 103 103. Do you think it'll work? Is it a good uh, scheme? I've heard others saying, uh, I saw a survey that was done by, I think it was Taxback uh, dot com on the vacant uh, home uh, tax and they said that 40% of people were very supportive of uh, the tax and hoped that it would have a positive uh, I- impact uh, but others felt like 15% said that the tax should be higher and, and that if the tax was higher that might spur more people to relet or to sell the house. 0818 103 103 Lines are open. C103 Jobs Solace Chalk, they're an insulation and ventilation company in Formoy. They're looking for general operatives with safe pass and manual handling certs. You also need to have a full clean driver's licence. CV and a cover letter, please, to jason at solacetech.ie. Ballyhay Preschool are looking for a preschool manager. You need to have a minimum of three years' experience in running a preschool. A level eight qualification would also be desirable. CVs, please, to Ballyhay Preschool Board at gmail.com. Mechanical and electrical engineer required for building services in Cork. CVs to John Paul Construction Limited, and that's at gmail.com. And a mobile tire, mobile tire fitters are wanted 
in the Mill Street area. Now, it is to provide call-out and breakdown services. Apply with an email to hr.ohtires at gmail.com or you can phone or text them at 87 259885. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, one of the most positive books on ageing that I've come across, I think, ever, I read this week, and it actually may, has made me look forward to one day retiring. The book is called Age is Just a Number and is written by Francis Brennan, well-known hotelier and TV presenter, who I'm delighted to say joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Francis. Morning, Patricia. You survived the storm. Uh, we did indeed. We did indeed. Were you battered in Kerry as well? Yeah, we had a ton of rain, right? But did not, you? Not, no, we had no damage at the hotel. Thanks no, we, which is good. Now, I have to start by saying happy birthday. You had a significant birthday last Monday. Yeah, on Monday I was went to the, the, the 7 and the O, as they say, the big O. <laughs> Uh, I had and I was joking because yesterday I celebrated my third birthday party. <laughs> so I've had a great week. I um, the family surprised me the week before, actually. And then yesterday where I'm actually I'm in Tralee today filming with At Your Service. And uh, yesterday when we were finishing up at half six last night, I, I, all the builders, like usually the builders go home at five o'clock, I know. And they were all there still and all the rest. And then. It was a bit funny. And then when I came around the corner to get my umbrella and my hat, because I had come in in pouring rain that morning, um, here were they all, big cake, yeah. great excitement. And they all they all sang happy birthday to me. So. Well, that's terrific. And was it approaching the age of 70 that prompted you to write this book, Age is yeah. Just a Number? Absolutely that, yeah. Because I knew, I, 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 Gail, my publisher, we're, they're always looking for angles for books and all the rest. And I hadn't had anything out for quite some time. And they were keen that I would do something. And I said, well, listen, I'm 70 in uh, September the 25th, 2023. So maybe we do something on aging and, you know, getting things in order for people that are about to retire or whatever the case may be. So we hung our hat on that. So you're absolutely right. OK, and you and you did, having read the book, you did a lot of, of, of research uh, for it. It really is. It's excellent and it's very concise, which I think is something uh, I like. And we know, of course, um, uh, you and John are, have sold the, the Park Hotel. Uh, but to hear you say only yesterday, there you were uh, filming. Can you ever see yourself fully retired? No, no I can't because I also do work as you know for Dunn stores and that kind of keeps me busy we have a, a new store opening in Dundrum in early November so we're all getting layouts for that and surprises and all sorts of things so there's always something going on in my life like if you look at my diary people say oh my god like today now I have five different things to do today with uh, two radio shows. I have a doctor's appointment. I have to meet a, 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 a guy about at your service. So, like, there's always something happening. Yeah, and, and some of those things came to you later in, in life, like getting involved in television. I mean, you were a hotelier. Yeah. No, and, you know, if people say to me, what is your job? Like, I am a hotelier, that that is my job, OK? And everything else is periphery around it. I didn't do any television. Like, I did an odd interview here, that there, here and there. But the first television I ever did was in nine, uh, when I was 54. And I did that um, Designs for Living about building a house, all the trials and tribulations involved therein. And out of that then came At Your Service. So we're working on At Your Service 16 years now since we started originally. 
on at your service. We're doing the 13 series at the moment, but we, we were working before. Um, and then out of that then grew the travel show, which you mm. probably know about. I, I Great fun. Groups of people from the airport on wild trips around the world. Um, so th- that that came. And then out of that, then I had a, a, a visibility nationwide and done stores were always keen for me to do something with them. They'd asked me years before and I said, no, no, no. And then out of that, out of the at your service television, I think we started the Lina, which is now has expanded into lifestyle uh, in done stores. So we, like we really, really, one thing leads to another. So I don't know what's around the corner. And I start. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, because I've interviewed you many times uh, with your other books. You, you, you took up writing. Yeah, yeah. No, this this is my eighth book. <laughs> is it your eighth? I, Goodness I, I, me! I can't believe it. Yeah, but eighth book. Yeah, and we have um, we have uh, I've have done three diaries in the middle of all that, and then five real real books. This yeah. is like a real book. The diaries are kind of a compilation of stuff. But um, but like it's 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 probably quite a career, but I don't even notice. <laughs> mm, yeah, because you always love to be busy. Now I think one of the main messages that comes out from this book, Francis, is planning for the day when you do finish the traditional nine to five. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? It's planning for yeah. the retirement. Well, an awful lot of people are in their job situation and their life revolves around that. And socially, the same. You might like go play in tennis or with somebody or whatever thing is. And when you leave your job, they lose a lot of contact and you certainly find yourself at home. Like very nowadays, people are quite aesthetic and youthful in their way. And you find yourself at home and you think, oh, what am I going to do now? So it's important that you cultivate um, during your like your, your lifetime, like friends that are very important to you. Also, that um, maybe you join a book club or you might, if you were a great knitter, knitting was a big thing there a few years back, um, and or a golf club or whatever it might be. Or even go to bingo once a week if it's on locally and enjoy the, the fun and thing or even go to 10 o'clock mass every morning and have a cup of coffee with the with the girls afterwards like those interactions after you retire are very very important to keep you in the circle and and also just because you leave the the nine to five job it doesn't mean you have to leave employment completely there's a there's a lot of Absolutely. older people work part-time either for paid employment or as a volunteer Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's so many opportunities for that, you know, to do hospital visits or uh, help help people with um, meals on wheels or whatever it might be. Like, there is no excuse for you to sort of sit at home and say, oh, I have nothing to do. And it's a very bad uh, thing to get into. You know, it's important that you get, get going fast because as time goes on, you might think, oh, I won't bother, I won't bother, mm. which is very d- a dangerous attitude to have. So it's important that you're organised for that and that you think of your retirement as a kind of a plan and have it all organised before you get there. And what do you say to people who are dreading the day that they have to leave their job? Um, well, they shouldn't. I mean, it's it's, it's it's up to them to do whatever they can. Like, the, when you retire, you have the option of doing everything. So therefore, something within the everything world must suit you. So you have the time to do that. And why don't you embrace that and be grateful? You know, oftentimes people look back in life and they think, oh, but listen, to be grateful in life gives you a great uh, solace and kind of um, peacekeeping within yourself when you look back and think, well, life wasn't too bad, you know. Like in Ireland, like if we lived in Morocco today, we'd have had the earthquake. You can imagine the, mm-hmm. the trauma around us then, or in Syria, the war, or in Ukraine. Like when you look back at Irish history, we haven't had any upheaval since the early 20s, really. We have a lot to be thankful for. 
And yeah. uh, and I love your point about staying connected with the younger generation because they oh, yeah. can they can keep you younger. I'm great for that. Like I keep in touch with I have eleven nieces and nephews, and I keep in touch. I certainly talk to them all once a month at least, and then loads them twice a week even at, at times because they're the lifeblood of your family. And they help you to move along and be comfortable in your family. You know, and then you, you, you hear all. You, you this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You'd be aware then of things like TikTok and uh, <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and all those things that are in their lives hugely nowadays that you keep up to date with that. Although my mother, many years back, she was collecting the, her three uh, children, um, my sister's children, from school one day in Sligo and they were in the back of the car. And I was on the phone to her that night talking and she says, you know, I brought the kids home today. She says, they were in the back of the car and I didn't know what they were talking about. She said, they were TikTok, Twitter, um, Instagram, whatever <laughs> it was. Oh, Lella. She said, I, I, I'll have to sit with them in the kitchen and learn all about it. <laughs> so she was like keeping her ear to the ground so she'd be ahead of the posse when the time would come. I'm glad you've mentioned your mum because you, your, your late mother, God be good to her, is a shining example of somebody who led a very full and a very active life. And the, and that, that and her, the, the key there is don't isolate yourself. Oh, no. My mother was fantastic. For She had like the house, she'd have five callers a day and she lived like three miles outside Clyde Town in the middle of the field, technically, all right. But there was always, and the interesting thing about my mother, um, I was th- I was leaving one day, going off, all right, and this car came up the avenue, or her avenue, and this young lad jumped out, but, and a girl, and I went down the avenue then and waved bye-bye, and I thought, who are those? So that night I was talking to my mother, because I used to talk to her every night. Who are the two that called up? Oh, she says, they're friends of John's. I know them since John. Now, John is in Kerry, 30 years, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it was friends of John, and they all, he always calls to say hello. <laughs> like, it's absolutely brilliant. And he has a girlfriend with him. So yeah. it was just like, it was lovely. I thought, God, Mommy, you're great keeping up the contacts with everybody. Yeah, because you say, uh, and, and your mother lived by this, age is really an attitude. Oh, yeah. She, well, she didn't die, she was 80, uh, um, 97, no. yeah. she died when she, when she died. And she was sick for four days. That was all okay, and she passed away then. And but prior to that, she was marvelous because um, in Sligo, in the summertime particularly, there would be people coming back from America, and um, that would have had relatives in the region, in the area where they lived, and wanted to know about them. Well, I mean, my mother, she's great now. She knew everybody, and she can, and her mind was perfect till the day she died. She were very lucky for her because that's not the case with a lot of people these days so she'd they'd come from Canada and they'd come from Australia and they'd call to see my mother she wouldn't know them now but they'd call to say hello and see how she was and then find out all about their relatives and you know the one thing when she died I thought oh lord all that knowledge history all that knowledge is gone now yeah yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's well, that's just normal. That's life. Yeah, it it's is like, indeed. It is, and somebody points out: um, Does Francis not realise that half the population never get the chance to retire? I.e., women. The housework, the washing, the cooking, the cleaning still looms large every single day. Now that's that. That is a good point. When suddenly, when you're both at home um, together, 
it's because you can get under each other's feet as well. But isn't that yes. an opportunity to maybe spread the workload a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd have to retrain. Well, retraining is all the rage, uh, Patricia, now. So he could get himself or herself to retrain. Yeah. But no, generally, well, of course, nowadays, housing is such a problem. An awful lot of children are staying on longer in the home as against going off on their own. So that's another issue. We could talk about that all day, too. But I think well, I think they're lucky to have people with them. They might be lonely if they were on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, somebody is saying, great to hear Francis on the programme. He always looks so dapper. What a lovely word. Uh, and you do deal with that in, in the book. You do always look very smart and very well turned out. And that is important as well. But dressing for your age, important. Oh, yeah. No, that is that's very important. And, you know, you can be casual with a sweater and a pair of jeans and look lovely. You know what I mean? But you just have to be, sometimes you see people like in their 60s and they're dressed like, with them um, varsity jackets on them and all that sort of carrying, like really not really PC at all. I'm sorry now, you you you, you just look out of out of sync in that. So it's important that you that you stay with your style, but you can always you know style can be color as well. And if you want to be a little bit avant garde, a little bit different, kind of a yellow sweater or a bright blue sweater or something can give you a lift. So mm. don't be put off by the fact that you think you, you don't want to dress as a young one, but you can dress certainly appropriately with color alone. You don't like jeans? No, well, I, I don't, I'm not a great... I have a pair of jeans now. But, you? you know, funny enough, the other day I was doing something and I had my hand on them to put on. I thought, no, oh, father, I put on a pair of slacks, uh, casual trousers rather than jeans. No, I don't mind jeans, but jeans... Can, there are people who can wear jeans really well. Yeah. That look, you know, with a sweater and a pair of jeans, look stylish. So it's, it's, it's important that you know exactly where you fit into the calendar or whatever it is. Yeah, and you've, it's your body shape and all of our body shapes yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. adjust over the years. Uh, one story in your book that made me laugh out loud is the story about you buying the, the, the cummerbund. Oh, yes. Tell, God. tell that. It's too, long, it's too long for the radio, Patricia, no, but and, uh, it's, suffice it to say that I haven't, if anyone wants to catch up on it, have a look at it. And book, do you, and do you, do you, is, do you, it's a true story and it's <laughs> hilarious. Right? Do, you still, do you still have it? I do. do you? So you can't, how would you get rid of six six yards of cummerbund? Where would you go? to recycle alone? Would be unbelievable. I know. I know. It's still in the wardrobe, and I ha- but I haven't worn it for a long time. Yeah, it's for, uh, it's a great story. It it really is. It's it's a great great story. And keeping in contact uh, with family and friends. Now you know you talk about we can lose um, friends. We can uh, also fall out with family members uh, over the years. But there's nothing to stop us at any age making new friends. No. That's what I mean. When, when, if you go out and join a club, a, a bridge club or a knitting club or a book club, whatever, you go to meet four or five people. They'll be there every week with you, whatever day you have the, the, the um, activity on. And they will be new friends. And then you can meet them on a Tuesday for a cup of coffee in, in town or wherever it is. So always keep your horizon wide open and don't be afraid to say hello to everybody. Okay. All right. And very finally, you've kind of half answered this question, but Barbara has been on to say, lovely to hear Francis on the programme. Has he any new TV shows uh, coming up? Uh, you, you obviously have it at your service. Any idea of knowing when that's going to be on our yeah, screens? No, um, uh, at your service. Uh, it'll be definitely not this year. It'll be for next oh, year. Okay. But I'm not sure whether it's going to be spring. It all depends on the house, the places we're visiting that they finish in time. You know what I mean? It's not... It's it's not it's it's always a bit like will it be spring or will it be autumn? But it's definitely not for this year. It's for next year. Uh, someone else says any tra- any travel shows coming up? No, uh, RTE have been very cautious about travel shows, and I agree a hundred percent because if we went away in a bus with twelve people and six crew, that would be eighteen people, 
on yeah. a bus altogether. And if one of us got COVID, and I there know. is a bit of it around still, Patricia, yeah. if, one of us, if one of us got COVID, they'd have to quarantine the whole lot of us in Vietnam or Canada <laughs> or wherever it might be. So it would be very complicated. Okay. So there is definitely no show happening this year. I, su- I suppose in the autumn of next year, we might go back to it. But I, did, I you, did you enjoy those or were they, could they, were they stressful at times? No, I always, well, they are stressful because you're moving through uh, unknown territory and d- hoping that the fellow that's supposed to meet you at 12 o'clock will be there rather than two o'clock or something. But um, no, I, I absolutely love them. Yeah, well, I like to travel all the time and, and I, I travel with a group of Irish people, personal friends, and we're going together for 42 years and I've, I always organise everything. And uh, so like to organise anything for a party of 12 in China or wherever, no trouble. Good on you. Just have Good to on you. work on it for a while. And one very final one. Francis Brennan is so right about the jeans. I wonder what does he think about the purposely torn ones that young ones pay a fortune for today? Ripped jeans. What's your view on them? I have absolutely no time for ripped jeans. <laughs> and I know they cost twice the price of the regular ones, but I don't, the youth, listen, they name it all on TikTok, Patricia, because they probably saw it there first. What would your mother have made of, or what did she make of ripped jeans? She probably would have been horrified. Oh, well, she that wouldn't be, no, no. My mother always had a bit of style. She wouldn't be at all impressed if I came home in, in ripped jeans. But, I, 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 you know, sometimes you see 60-year-olds or 70-year-olds in ripped jeans and like, ah, boys or girls, get, get it together now, please, because you're really out of line. Sew up your jeans. Okay, listen, Francis, it's a pleasure as always. The book is really delightful. Uh, age is just a number, and as I say, it's available in all good uh, bookshops. Thanks a million for joining Thanks. us on the programme. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. He's such a lovely, a lovely uh, man. It is published by uh, Gill Books. I'm going to band and guard the station for this week's Guard the Fire, where I'm joined by Sonner, uh, Sergeant uh, Connor McCarthy. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. And our, the first incident that we start with uh, today is a pony that's gone missing. That's right, uh, Patricia. Uh, from a time around Friday, the 15th of September 2023, a red and white pony was discovered missing from property in the Dramidity, Dramalig area. The pony is a two year old and is 13 foot, 13 two in height. Uh, we're asking the public to, to, who may have been in the area if they observed any unusual vehicles or horse boxes or any uh, small lorries during this time, or if they have dash cam footage to contact Gardaí and Bantry Garda station with any information they may have on 027-20860. Uh, I suppose just in relation to this, it is important people ensure their locks are uh, secure on gates and on entrances to farmyards and to maintain a vigilant eye for any unusual vehicles or people in rural areas. Uh, animals are normally kept in areas which are isolated mm. and it is important that people just look out for each other and keep an eye on anything that they yeah, think and people, is suspicious. People that live in rural areas, generally speaking, will know that Farmer Tom has that particular van or that Bob up the road drives that Jeep. So if there's a different you know, car or vehicle hanging around an area, you know, it should raise suspicions. Exactly, Patricia. They, if they took down the number of this vehicle, we can come back and check it should something untoward happen in the area during this time. OK, let's move to uh, Clonakilty, where a window was damaged at a filling station. That's right, Patricia. Guardian Clonakilty are, are investigating an incident where a window was damaged at a filling station on Convent Road, Clonakilty. The incident occurred on the 20th of September between 12am and 2am. Uh, there may have been motorists passing by at this time who noticed some unusual movements of people, vehicles or anything out of the ordinary. We asked the motorists to check their dash cam or, and Gardaí are asking the public to contact Clannacilty Gardaí 
on 023-882-1570 if they have any information. And in the Mardyke Street area of Skibbereen, there's been some criminal damage reported. That's right, Patricia. On the evening of the 24th of September 2023, damage was caused to a motor vehicle on Mardyke Street and to a business premises on Bridge Street. The instance occurred in the evening time when it was dark and Gardaí are asking for people to check dash cam footage if passing these areas on the night in question or if anyone noticed anything out of the ordinary. Uh, Gardaí and Skibbereen can be contacted on 028 23088 and the, the Gardaí and are investigating these incidents and would appreciate any help that the public may have. During the summer months we often talk about illegal parking particularly on very busy weekends at beaches and Inchidani Beach uh, is often mentioned. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Are there still people illegally parking even in the winter months? Yes, Patricia. Uh, unfortunately, we've received uh, a number of complaints in recent times just about an ongoing problem where residents are unable to leave or enter their properties due to visitors to the area parking on footpaths in front of entrances or on double yellow lines. While it is fantastic that so many people are visiting these areas throughout West Cork, as well as in Shidani, it is important local residents are not discommoded and disabled visitors can also access footpaths and amenities. Uh, it's important to remember that emergency vehicles also require access to these areas and it's important they have clear access to assist people when it is required. While hopefully people will make use of these local amenities, they should also consider where they parking, where they park going forward. Yeah, I remember no, it, was, it was a few years ago, it was on a very sunny day speaking with uh, somebody who lives in Inchidani and she came out at 10 in the morning and there was a car parked right across her driveway and the person who owned that car didn't come back until five in the afternoon and when she went out to say to the woman, you've parked in my driveway, the woman just basically shrugged her shoulders and drove off. You know, it was, it's crazy, like please stop and think uh, where you are parking. Now, uh, third level students uh, come back to college um, and this is also relevant to second level students, you want to talk to us about money mules and the danger of money mules uh, by organised crime grants. So I suppose start start by explaining to us what is a money mule? That's that's right, Patricia. A a money mule is a person who transfers money illegally on behalf of other people. They allow their account to be used for the transfer of ill-gotten gains. They may or may not be aware of the crime. However, they are complicit if they recklessly allow their accounts to be used to launder the proceeds of these crimes. Generally Um, speaking, who's targeted? Students are often targeted by organised crime gangs to act as money mules, laundering they launder thousands of euro through their accounts in exchange for a few hundred euro. And in some instances, the, the few hundred euros never received by the student or the money mule. Anti-money laundering legislation is designed to prevent organised crime gang members from opening up accounts, so they need money mules to launder their money. Students are an easy target for these money herders. They are often approached online, on campus or while out socialising. And secondary school students we have found are becoming more of a target for these crime gangs as well. So it's important that people just keep an eye. Um, uh, I suppose parents should speak to their, to their sons and daughters just to make them aware of these um, these uh, money herders who will try and target these people, these students. Okay, so what advice do you have for anybody? I, the main thing I would uh, I, I would advise people four points is do not allow anyone to use your bank account, do not share personal bank account data, do not send or receive money, trust your instincts. If it sounds too good to be true, 
it most likely mm. is. Mm. And and so uh, a major way of them contacting these uh, students is by through social media, through TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, online, online dating sites or business advertising. And, and young people can see if parents want their uh, sons or daughters to be aware of it. There is a number of high profile cases in the media, which if they look up money mules online, they will be able to see these articles which are reported in the newspapers and, and, would and you, online media. And if anyone is approached, would you suggest reporting it to the local guardian? Absolutely. I would say if you are approached to facilitate this crime, say no and report the matter, the matter to Angarda Siakana immediately. Uh, they can go into any Garda station or phone the contact their, their local Garda station via telephone and report the matter. And Garda will investigate these um, money herders as best we can. We will follow yeah. up the investigation and track them down. And even though the young person wouldn't be involved in, in, in any of the criminal activities that these crime lords are, are, are involved in, it's still illegal to be, you're still money laundering. It is indeed. If you agree to allow your account be used in this way, you are committing the offence of money laundering. Money laundering is a serious offence which on conviction carries a penalty of up to 14 years imprisonment. This will have a serious impact on students' future travel and career opportunities. Yeah. And again, I, I put the emphasis on parents who are listening to have that discussion with their with their children and just make them aware of the consequences of this. It, as, as I said earlier, if it's too good to be true, then it generally is. And in third level college, I, know, I am aware that on Garda Shikana's campus watch does provide information in relation to these, this, uh, this type of crime. Okay, now I did see some gorgeous uh, photographs that went up by St. Joseph's Foundation in, in North Cork with local Gardaí got involved with the, the Make Way Day campaign. Uh, just explain what that day was all about. Uh, yes, Patricia, the Gardaí recently worked with Disability Federation of Ireland uh, on their Make Way Day campaign to raise awareness amongst the public to consider the needs of people with disabilities in the public spaces we all share. On Garda Shikana took the opportunity to support the disabled community by holding a National Day of Enforcement to Operation Enable on the 22nd of the 9th. 23. Gardaí and the day engaged with the public and raised awareness with members of the public on issues which can cause serious inconvenience to the disabled community. Gardaí would like to thank people for their cooperation on the day, which was successful in raising awareness. This was partly done by uh, highlighting to people that the access to footpaths, disabled bays and other areas of access should be may, should always remain clear for people with disabilities. Well done. Uh, the, the day was a success. Unfortunately, there was one. There was a number of uh, F, char, FCN charges um, on spot fines issued, but overall, the feedback from the get public the message was across. Good. Get the message across. Yeah. Okay, and as always, you're available at any time uh, if people need to contact you. That's correct, Patricia. We're always available, and people Gardaí can be contacted on one eight hundred six 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 one one one, the confidential Garda helpline. Or if you're in trouble, always call nine nine nine, and we you will be put through to your local Garda station where someone will be sent to assist you as soon as possible. Okay, have a good week, uh, Connor, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is Sergeant Connor McCarthy, who is based out of Bandongar. The state email is also there, Cork Today at c103.ie. I mentioned in the last hour that thousands of owners of vacant homes are due to start getting letters in the coming days telling them that Revenue believes they're liable for the new tax on their properties. This is the vacant homes um, tax and it's set at a rate of three times whatever the local property tax is in your area. Plus you have to pay the local property tax 
on top of it. That's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, I'm just wondering, will that tax apply to vacant council houses? The reason I ask, I know where I live, there are five council houses. They've all been done up. Uh, Air to water systems have been installed. That was installed about four years ago and they're boarded up again. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've taken a quick look while news was on when your text came in just to see if I could find anything on will local authorities have to pay the vacant homes tax. Now, local authorities are liable for the local property uh, tax on their property in the same way that any other residential property owner is. So do I take it from that? They will also be uh, made to pay the vacant homes tax. Now, revenue, by the way, they're already up and running. They are such an efficient bunch of people. You can go on to revenue.ie if in, if you do own a vacant home tax if you do own a vacant house and you think you might be liable for the vacant homes tax. They already have a, a full information piece up online. I can't see anything on it though about local authorities but I suppose they would um, issue that directly to uh, local authorities. The only thing that I will say is, and it saddens me to hear you say that houses that have been done up with the air to water systems put in and they're boarded up again. I wonder were they vacant for the full year? Remember the dates are important. They have to have been empty from the 1st of November last year, 2022, and they have to have had nobody living in them for the full 12 months in order that they are deemed vacant and this tax uh, will then accrue. So I wonder, was there somebody living in it for part of the year? But it does, with the amount of people on council housing lists, you still question why would five of them be boarded up? Thank you for your text to 0862 uh, On refugees, hi Patricia, really enjoying your programme. Thank you for that. Um, Aileen Quindam analysed the issue about refugees in a recent column in the Echo. She said that Ireland has absorbed so many refugees from the Ukraine that our population has swelled by 2%. France, in contrast, has Ukraine-related increase of 0.11%. In Italy, it's 0.28% and in the UK by 3.1%. Even Ukrainians that live here say that our benefits are the highest in Europe. So because of that, we are drawing people from Ukraine across many safe countries where refuge could have been sought. But they know if they come to Ireland, they'll get a better deal. Now, the Dublin Convention states that refugees must seek asylum in the first safe country where they arrive. And while it seems right that we do take our share here in Ireland, statistics prove that we have already taken far more than our share. The result is that our refugee situation is now in a chaotic shambles. Our government should be standing up to other European countries to make them accept more people. And the benefits that are drawing people across the breadth of Europe and then onwards past the UK to Ireland need to be cut back to the average European level. We need a balance in this situation and there appears to be none. That is why Irish people feel abandoned in their own country in respect of health services, in respect of of education provision, elderly care, etc. We need better than a government of nodding dogs who look like they're just trying to be the best boys in Europe and they're doing it to the neglect of their duties at uh, home. That's quite a strongly worded uh, text. Thank you for that. I, I did see... Leo Varadkar, I don't know who across 
the, from the opposition parties was asking him, but somebody brought up about the fact of the Ukrainian refugees and what they received from a social welfare point of view when they arrived in this country. They're treated the very same as if they were unemployed in this country. They received the full social welfare, which is, what, €220 a week. But for some of the Ukrainian refugees, they had full board and lodgings and they were getting the 220 on uh, top, which seemed to be very overly generous when you look at what Ukrainian refugees are given uh, in other countries. Now, I did see Leo Varadkar react to it and he, he made the point that they now have, I don't know if it is in every uh, everywhere where Ukrainian refugees are saying they're now asking them to pay a, a contribution towards their food and lodging, lodgings, which only seems fair. If we're asking Irish people to live on €220 Euro a week and to pay rent and to pay a mortgage and to pay for food and to pay for everything else, it only seems right and proper that yeah, if you're bringing people in from other countries that you ask them to do the, sa- the same thing. But I have seen that criticism. That criticism has gone out uh, quite a lot that we are very generous in this country. And is it... And and it's understandable if you're leaving, if you're fleeing your country uh, because of the situation that's going on there and let's call it out because of the Russian invasion and you're trying to decide where you're going to set up, you are going to look at where you're going to, where you and your family, your children, where they're going to get the best uh, chance. And if it does look on paper like Ireland is the most generous and yeah, I can understand uh, why people would, would, would head to Ireland, even though I think when you're looking at the numbers it's the neighbouring countries to Ukraine that certainly have taken the biggest share of, refu- of Ukrainian refugees and that's got a lot to do with people wanting to stay as close to home as they can because what traditionally happens with war refugees as soon as the war is over, people just want to go home so they want to stay as close to their own border as, as we can. So we're, we can say that we've taken the most but uh, as a proportion we certainly are doing our bit for such a small uh, country uh, for sure. 0818103103 and then the listener who texted us in and I thought it was a really sad uh, text uh, to read who had gone to Dublin to a wedding and just couldn't get over the city had planned on spending a week in Dublin but checked out after the day after the wedding and decided to come home and it was because of the fighting that they witnessed on the streets by immigrants and that was picked up then by one of our, our listeners uh, who, who said that that particular listener was wrong, that the problem in Dublin is Dubliners, not immigrants. And the person says uh, systemic problems of poverty creates violence and ignorance. And was saying we need a change of government and a change of economic ideology. Well, the original listener is back to say, I'd like to correct that uh, a person. The people who were fighting on the streets in Dublin that I witnessed last weekend were not Dubliners. They were immigrants. He can continue to bury his head in the sand if he wishes, but I'm just telling you what I saw and what I witnessed. And second of all, my mother was one of those people who did go overseas many, many years ago and she got nothing from the country she went to unless she worked. So I would actually consider myself to be a daughter of somebody who was forced to emigrate all those years ago. 0818103103. And actually just staying on the immigrant uh, issue, and this is something that we have spoken about. And it's certainly something that I remember mentioning at the very start of the Russian invasion on Ukraine when we were opening our doors and, you know, offering refuge that we still are to people who are fleeing the war situation. Uh, When they started going into areas of tourism and moving into hotels, in tourist areas and B&Bs. I was worried about the other businesses in those areas if tourist areas end up with too many 
uh, refugees, that it was going to have a knock-on effect on uh, businesses. The hotels, obviously, where they're staying are going to do okay because they'll have a full bed occupancy, so they'll be paid. But it's the ancillary businesses that make their money from tourists that are going to be uh, affected. And it seems that businesses who have been affected by the refugee uh, crisis could be in line for some kind of a package of supports under the budget that's going to be announced next month. Fine Gael backbenchers are pushing really hard for assistance for businesses in areas where hotel accommodation is now being used to house refugees or asylum seekers. And according to a spokesperson for the Enterprise Minister, Simon Coveney, he described the proposals that have been put forward by some Fianna Fáil backbench TDs as excellent suggestions. And obviously, this falls very much at the feet of the Tourism Minister, Catherine Martin. She said she's also looking at supporting those businesses. Now, yesterday, she asked tourism businesses to provide her with evidence of the negative impact to get it into fall to Ireland to help her in her budget negotiations at the Tourism and Hospitality Forum where she was speaking yesterday. Now, TDs and senators are pushing for pandemic-style budget supports for businesses which are suffering off, obviously, a drop in custom due to migrants living in hotels and B&Bs. And they would be living in hotels and B&Bs that normally would be full of tourists who would then go on to spend money locally. Some of the backbench TDs pointed out that some of the businesses in their communities have seen a complete collapse due to a significant drop in footfall where there would have been thousands of people staying in various accommodations over a four and five month period, particularly the spring into the summer. Now they have hundreds of people who are there all of the time. They're not tourists, so they're not spending the money the way tourists would spend their money. And it's creating obviously a drop in things like coffee shops, your small little boutiques, your cafes, your restaurants, your clothing shops, the bars, they're all really struggling. So what's being put forward now is that there needs to be some kind of a business support packages specifically for businesses who are impacted by the Ukrainian uh, crisis. And of course, we do know that earlier this year, the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, she did allocate, I think it was about 50 million euro to cities and county councils to support communities that were taking in Ukrainian refugees. But that money, that 50 million, that went towards like the refurbishment of things like, you know, local sports uh, clubs. It was used to upgrade play areas and walkways and uh, parks. It was it was done to put uh, more money into transport infrastructure, such as community um, uh, vehicles. Bus shelters, I think, were also built out of that out of that money. So that money didn't go to local businesses. It went to the infrastructure in the uh, area. And, you know, when you look at particularly the cafes and the restaurants and the bars, they are the same group that are already struggling because, of course, we know the VAT rate uh, went up recently, the 9%, the hospitality VAT rate that will be held at 9%. That's gone back up to 13.5%. But seemingly, our Catherine Martin is also asking the Department of Finance to look into the possibility of a split VAT rate, which would allow a lower tariff to restaurants sector versus hotels. And that's, we've done 
discussions on that on the programme, particularly from the Restaurant Association. I've also spoken with um, the Hairdressing Federation because they all fall in under hospitality. And, you know, the government have always argued that there's price gouging going on by some of the larger hotels, particularly in the cities. And that was one of the reasons why they said the VAT rate should go back up. But, you know, people felt that it was very unfair on the smaller restaurants and particularly the restaurants in very rural areas and the hairdressers because they all got tarred with the, the, the one brush. And that notion of having a split uh, VAT rate had been mentioned. So Catherine Martin said she is uh, looking for uh, it and she is speaking with the department uh, about it. But she, she, she is fessing up and saying it is something that's going to happen into the, into the future. It's understood, for example, that that new split rate, which is been given very serious consideration it won't be part of next month's uh, budget despite the restaurant issue and others lobbying the government for such a setup. So it looks like they're looking at it but it certainly isn't going to be introduced in the short term. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking calls. We are looking for pet questions please and you can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Artfield Rathbury Gardening Club they're meeting tonight in the parish hall in Rathbury 8 o'clock start and the guest speaker is Matty from Future Forest in Kilkill they'll be serving teas and coffees and plants will also be on sale and best of luck to the annual Marymount Coffee Morning and Raffle which will take place tomorrow morning in the Gold Post Shanagari from 10am to 12.30 and uh, entertainment on the day will be by Podrick uh, Parker and Newmarket Sports and Leisure they've got their scrap metal collection fundraiser for local amenities it's on tomorrow between 5 and half past 7 and again on Saturday half 9 to half 4 all types of uh, metal and old machinery will be accepted if you would like a collection service that is available 087 604 7400 Kaylee sets going on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night dancing from 9.30 music is by Tim Joe and Nan. Admission is €10 Euro and it does include teas. And the Well Project will hold their Harvest Moon Walk tomorrow, starting from Kinsale Community School Car Park at 8.30 tomorrow evening. The Fun Walk will support Kinsale Youth Support Services, Men's Shed and the Youth Community Centre. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie And some of your commentary uh, coming in on those vacant council uh, houses, Patricia, to answer your question on the vacant council houses that I texted you about. Nobody's lived in those houses for over five years. Whoa. Well, if, if they're vacant for over five years, then yes, the local authority should be paying the vacant tax as well because if you or I owned one of those houses and they were vacant uh, for, fi- for five years, looking at what revenue we're saying up online today, then we would have to pay the vacant property tax along with the local uh, property tax. So let's wait and see uh, what happens on uh, that one. Um, hi Patricia, there 
are too many refugees in this country, particularly Ukrainians. We can't get into our own GP uh, and yet they are being put in ahead of uh, us. There seems to be a crazy imbalance uh, against the Irish. You see, and they are the kind of things that are just, that's what the far right picks up on and that's just, we're going to get into this this us versus them and that's when hatred and violence and that's when things really kick off like what happened outside of the Dáil and that's not us as the people. We are a welcoming people. We're always, we're, we've always over the years been the first to put our hand up and our hand in our pocket to help people. I mean, if you think back during live aid per head of population, we the Irish at a time in the 80s when we were not a wealthy country, but we gave the most money per head of population than any other country. We are very generous. We like to look after uh, other people. And I hate to see that divide that, you know, people, you know, perceiving they're getting more than I'm getting. And, you know, it just becomes us versus them. And that's a very, very dangerous space to uh, be in. And as for Dublin and what Dublin is like at the moment, somebody says the minute you get off the train in Dublin, you are on high alert. It is, I feel, says this texture, the worst place to visit. It's not just foreign immigrants, it's Dubliners as well. It's all very frightening, especially on the Lewis from Houston. It's a very rough place and it can be very, very intimidating. I don't go to Dublin uh, that often. I was there earlier on in the year and I'd agree with you. Yeah, I think I was on high alert uh, as well. And, you know, it's our beautiful capital city. You don't want to feel, do you, on high alert all the time. You want to think that you can get on a train, you can get in your car, you can go and visit and you're going to come and have a nice time and that you're going to be able to come back again. But if you're constantly vigilant and watching over over your shoulders, even though I think uh, some of that is to do with drugs, unfortunately, and and there's a lot of heroin uh, in Dublin and heroin on the streets it's yeah we have a lot of social problems and that's not just in in Dublin unfortunately they're all over the country 0818103103 I mentioned the VAT uh, rate on the hospitality uh, sector and of course it's gone up um from 9% back up to 13.5% and it includes hairdressers and beauticians and I can never understand why they were included in the hospitality sector but they are. Uh, Somebody says many hairdressers have passed on the new VAT rate to their customers uh, as have other businesses like restaurants and cafes so I don't know why they are complaining about having to pay this VAT rate. Ultimately it is the customers who end up paying it. Yes it is what the businesses will say and we've seen businesses who have closed particularly in hospitality sector like cafes and bars and restaurants have closed because they feel by putting up the prices and by passing on the VAT rate they're just going to get too expensive and customers won't come in. So even though they are physically taking the money from customers and giving it uh, to the government, it does have a knock-on effect on their businesses as well. 0818 103 103. Jerry, one of our listeners, this is on something completely different, is in a bit of a dilemma at the moment and I'm sure there are others in the same boat. He's dithering and he doesn't know what to do, whether to pay his TV licence or not. Jerry is one of those people, he says, I've been living in this house for 25 years. And one of the first things I did on buying my new house 25 years ago was I proudly went down to the post office and I purchased a TV licence. I've paid my television licence every year since my TV licence is due at the end of this month. I normally would have, have it well paid before the end of September, but I have dithered this month. What are others doing? Well, you're certainly not on your own because I'm reading today 
that RTE's loss in TV licence revenue has now climbed to €10 million. Uh, euro. By the third week in September, it was down another €669,000. Uh, and this is all uh, coming to light as the media minister and the government are deciding what kind of interim funding they're going to have to pass on to RTE. The fall in TV licence, uh, as we know, it all started with the secret payments to Ryan uh, Tuberty and it has now surpassed the €10 million euro mark. It's 13 weeks, would you believe, since RTE revealed they were using a barter account and they were buying very expensive flip-flops and of course they spoke about the accounting practices which was basically hiding the amount that Ryan Tuberty was actually given, well it was hiding it to the public and to uh, TDs and um, uh, since then they have seen a steady decline in people paying their television licence week on week when you compare it to the people like Jerry who would have paid their licence this time last uh, year and it has now gone to the €10 million euro mark. Now, uh, the media minister, Catherine Martin, when she was asked to comment on this, she said people need to pay their TV licence because, she says, of the public service broadcasting and because of how important it is, is to society and to a democracy. And uh, interestingly, payments of the TV licence were healthy at the beginning of this year and when actually more people paid the TV licence for the first three months of this year when you compare it to the first three months of last year. So that was boding well for uh, RTE. But then 13 weeks ago, they weren't to know how everybody was going to react uh, to the news. Now, RTE have already asked the government to give them £34.5 in what they're calling interim funding this year. However, that figure was requested before the steep decline in TV licence fee uh, revenue after the payment scandals emerged. So the Cabinet was told by Minister Catherine Martin earlier this month that it won't be just 34.5 million RTE are going to need. They're now going to need in total 55 million to make up the money that has also been lost for people not paying their uh, TV uh, licence. Government ministers and the Taoiseach have been clear though that RTE needs to show proof of cost cutting, proof of reform before any money is handed over. And we have a new Director General, Kevin Backhurst. He's due to deliver a reform strategy to the government next month. He really needs to get moving on that because next month is also the date when the budget gets announced and the government will decide who's going to get what out of the money that they have to spend across next year. But it has gone to uh, 55 million. So uh, I would say, Jerry, you're not on your own as to what's going to happen because of the number of people who have decided not to pay their, their TV licence this year. I mean, they certainly can't take everyone to court. I'm assuming they're going to start issuing letters to people the way they traditionally would have done in the past, warning people that if you don't pay, because of course, you know, I while I accept... Minister Catherine Martin saying, you know, we must pay our TV licence because it's for public service broadcasting and how important public service broadcasting is to society and to democracy. But you're also breaking the law by not paying your TV licence. She wasn't quite pointing that out, but I'm sure if you get a letter in the post telling you you're breaking the law, it'll be interesting to see how many people would then will decide to pay it. But all I can say, Jerry, you're not on your own if that is any consolation to you. 0818 103 103. 
John Paul is taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, please, because Jane Pickett is about uh, to, jo- to join us. If you have uh, some of the animals in your house unwell at the moment and have a question for Jane, can you get it in? You can text her WhatsApp to 086 2 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. You survived Storm Agnes. Oh, just about, just about. I think it was quite a windy one, wasn't it? Was it yeah, was it pretty wild in Newmarket? Do you know, I was actually abroad and oh, how it really affected me was I was I was trying to fly back into the country last night and I had a big flight delay. So I think uh, like oh. a lot of other people, my travel was disrupted. But hey ho, we're all safe. And that's yeah, matters, that's so. it. Yeah. And there was a lot of flights cancelled uh, as well. So you, you were you were lucky to get home. OK, straight mm-hmm. into questions. Hi, question for Jane, please. I've got a big dog. Uh, it's a, He's about 12 years old. Lately, he's whining and he appears to have difficulty when he's getting up. Not all the time, just sometimes. Is there anything I could do without having having to travel to the vets. Firstly, what do you think okay. is going on there? I think if he's if he's whining and particularly around the time where he's struggling, so I suppose to to arise, that's one of the first signs that we see if, if we're a little bit stuff and stiff. And I think that mirrors what we see in humans. I suppose when, when we get a little bit older, sometimes we struggle to move about and rise from, let's say, sitting to standing and standing to sitting. And dogs and cats are actually very much the same. So it's a subtle sign. Your pet may still be able to walk around quite comfortably, but, you know, those joints are under a little bit more stress when they're having to hoik the whole body weight up into a standing position. So it does tend to be one of the first signs that we see. The whining or whinging that you see, it depends on when that's happening, really. Is it, I suppose, is it a sign of pain? Potentially. If it's happening at certain times and it was never a feature of their personality previously, it could be that they're kind of trying to convey a little bit of a sign of discomfort there. That's a possibility. But, you know, sometimes it can be almost vocalising to get attention. That's a possibility. But a lot of the time, if that's a change in your pet's behaviour and they haven't always been that way, then it's more likely to be underlying pain than just a behavioural feature. Um, unfortunately, what I'd say, without going to your vets is probably a very limited amount you can do I think from two perspectives I suppose the first is from the perspective of saying well what what is going on is it pain is it osteoarthritis is there something else occurring your vet will really need to do a full physical exam to do that um, and to assess that in conjunction with chatting with you about it but really importantly it's it's really important that as well as chatting about these pets that as vets we see them to examine them because we can pick up a lot more subtle things that might not be obvious at home. But the picture that you give us as an owner of their behaviour or changes in behaviour is a really key part of that as well. So it really is a dialogue. So it is important to go to your vet to get to the bottom of it, particularly if you feel they are stiff, but also so that you have access if your vet feels that it is pain and they do feel that they would benefit from some pain relief, then that you do have access to products that are safe and well tested. So prescription medicines and normally legally, they'd only be able to be prescribed to a pet that's been seen quite recently by a vet. Very similar to if we were at the doctors. So I understand that there might be a reluctance, particularly with an older pet or a nervous pet to bring them to the vets. Um, but if you are nervous in advance of that or there's a particular thing that you're nervous about for your pet, 
then, you know, flag that with the veterinary team ahead of time. So ring to have a discussion about booking an appointment, but let them let them know at that stage what your concerns are. If there's a particular part of the veterinary journey that bothers your pet, for example, if they don't like the anxiety of waiting in the waiting room before they go in to see a consult or, you know, it, there's some aspect of the physical examination that they don't particularly like, let the veterinary team know. And there may well be a workaround for that, whether that's be, let's say, if they don't like the waiting room, waiting in your car um, and being called straight through to the consult room, or if there's some aspect of the veterinary exam that they don't enjoy, we might try and distract them at that point with a fun toy or some treats. So there are ways to try and make it as relaxed as possible for a pet. But the key thing is thinking ahead. If there is something that's really preventing you from attending the vets and concerning you, well, what's that barrier and how can I let my veterinary team know about that ahead of time? And don't be shy about saying these things. We are only delighted in our practice when our when our when our patients' parents advocate for their needs ahead of time. So if there's something that your pet particularly needs or particularly is nervous about, let us know because you know we're not mind readers and we'd really really love to know so that we can help in any way to. Yeah, and the thing is, and. And, and we've we've seen and heard this from from other listeners. If it is arts, some kind of arthritis, there's really good medication now on the market, isn't there? There are a huge amount of options. And I think the real thing is no pet with osteoarthritis, with creaky joints and a bit of discomfort, none of those should be suffering in silence anymore. You know, that that day is gone. There is a huge amount of medication that can be used effectively and in a targeted way to suit suit and tailor the treatment to your patient. That means that your pet will find the best medication for them in conjunction with their vet and have a lot more comfort and hence have a much better quality of life and be able to go out and maybe do what they once did or to do a bit more than they can do so I, I think particularly in older pets as well one thing that people are concerned about is starting them on medications because obviously you know some medications will have side effects but you know at the time that the medication is prescribed it'll be again it's a dialogue with you to discuss the different potential risks but also the potential benefits for your pet so there is a, a discussion to be had if your pet does kind of fall into the category where they benefit from medication but you know rather than being too afraid of it, as long as you're aware of any monitoring that needs to be done or any risks in discussion with your vet, it really is a great thing to be able to give these pets pain relief and make them so okay. much more comfortable because they, they do suffer very silently. OK, Paul Indon Garvin looking for advice. How do you stop a dog digging up stones and rocks in the garden? I'm currently dog sitting uh, my daughter's five-year-old dog for a week and my garden is destroyed. I did get a ball. It's cut it down a bit, but he's still digging up stones and rocks in the garden. Mm. It is a real challenge. So it sounds like this little pet is potentially a bit stressed, potentially if they're not in their usual environment or that they may just have bundles of energy and really need a lot of mental stimulation. So I think well done on getting a, a ball, a toy first to begin with. That sounds like a good step in the right direction. It sounds like it may have reduced the behaviour a little bit, but I think you might need to go a step further. I think you're probably going to need to try and engage with the pet in some active play. So they get not only the stimulation, just you know, passively playing with the ball, but you know, playing fetch if that's appropriate for your pet or their life stage, or taking them out for additional walks again if that's appropriate for your pet. But really trying to engage with them and mentally stimulate them and maybe just maybe one more than one toy so I think one helpful thing is some of the toys that require a little bit of work to use not just a you know pop it in their mouth and give a squeak and then they're done with it so some of the stuffable toys as Kongs or other stuffable toys where you can almost layer them up with different snacks and just make sure that I suppose if you're house sitting or or, or, or dog sitting that you're aware of any food allergies or intolerances that the pet may have before you do that um, so that you can avoid any things that might give them an upset tummy. But generally, you can stuff those toys and sometimes you can even pop them in the freezer to make them an extra challenge for your dog to be able to lick and bite into them. So that's a great enrichment exercise. But I think... 
the key to this will not be telling your telling the dog to stop because that's probably no. not going to work. No, no, it keep will be him busy. Really distracting and keep him busy. Okay. And um, a listener says, "Hi, my dog has noise phobia, loud cars, fireworks, anything." Now she's on medication, but is there anything else I can do? Relaxation music is good, but it only works for so long. And I'm assuming this is in advance of October's around the corner, and we're going to be getting into fireworks going off left, right, and centre. And that period of fireworks going going off once upon a time it used to just happen on Halloween but now it has a tendency to happen weeks leading up and can be even weeks after Absolutely it's such a long period of unpredictable noise for these pets and you know it is really scary I think you know we often think of fireworks or bangers as really quite pretty things but for our pets they don't know what's happening and it's really quite a scary thing it's kind of like having a big thunderstorm but worse and unexpected they don't have the run in of the wind and the rain to warn them that it's about to happen Um, so they really do react to sudden noise and particularly anxious fearful animals get quite stressed during this period and it's very upsetting to see as an owner I think so it's sounds like this this listener has taken some really active steps already um i think classical music is a great thing to try and kind of mask any sudden changes in noise that's a helpful thing um or even talk radio can help sometimes it depends on what your pet prefers just trick around with it and see what keeps them calmest but what i would say is if your pet is already at the point where they're on medication for their anxiety during these periods then this is probably a bit more of a complex one than than we can chat about here um i think with with these patients that are let's say for a noise phobia or for anxiety or on medication usually it's a long-term behavioral management and trying to relax them and reduce their stress levels and i think if we're already at the stage where we're on longer term medication for that i really think popping back to your vet to have a, a chat with them because they'll be abreast of well exactly what medication has been prescribed but also maybe just to make them aware so sometimes as vets we prescribe a medication and you know unless that pet comes back to us for some reason and we're told it hasn't worked we're i suppose under the impression happily that things have worked out okay so if you still find this Despite the medication or despite the management that you've discussed with your vet that things are not quite settled, you know, raise that with them. Let them know unless you tell us as vets, we, we won't know. And, you know, there's lots of other tricks we have up our sleeve that we can help out with these things. Okay. But I think this particular case maybe needs very individual management. But best, okay. best of luck. OK, and then a listener who's listening to us overseas uh, says, pet question, please, for Jane. My healthy 11 year old cat, Ali, is breathing very heavy. It's been going on now for the past couple of weeks. At times, it's like she's struggling for breath and she's also not looking after her coat. I'm very worried oh it's about him sorry Ali's a he very worried about him. Now I am going to the vet later today but I'm wondering could Jane give me a heads up on what I might expect to hear. Okay oh so I'm I'm so sorry to hear that Ali's not been well and I think well done for taking that step to book into the vet. I'm glad that the appointment is later today because I really think that this pet sounds like it needs to be seen sooner rather than later so that's good that you've got in for today. There's a number of different things that can cause breathing problems Um, that could be a problem with the lungs themselves for example um, infection. Uh, inflammation but sometimes in in little cats as they get older sometimes it can be heart issues that result in let's say fluid build up on the lungs or around the lungs there are a number of different causes and your vet will really need to take a thorough history from you to discuss well what's happened around the time this has changed but also to do a really thorough physical exam and they, they may well need to do some tests as well and they'll be the best people to judge that after seeing Ali um, but what I will say is I think the most important thing I know it can be really scary knowing your pet is unwell uh, but you've taken the right step you're booked in with the vet and I think it's just a case of she's going to get the he's going to get the help he needs um, so just 
trust mm. your vet, discuss all of your concerns openly. And, you know, I'm sure you'll come to a conclusion that, you know, we'll get Ali on the right path. But I think you made the right decision getting her into the vet today. OK, and let us know how Ali gets on, uh, please, to that listener. OK, Jane, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week. Uh, we'll we'll chat again next uh, Thursday. That is uh, Jane Pickett and Jane is with the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. They are part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And thank you to the Ali's owner who said to let us know how, she, how he gets on today. Please do let us know tomorrow. OK, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards. We're back with you tomorrow at 10. On to then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good Cork afternoon. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy the insurance group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.